big off-season signing is from RSL. It's That's So MLS <laughs> with myself, Nick Thornton. With me, as always, is Andrew Bates. What's happening? Happy New Year to you. Welcome, everyone. This is, of course, a North American soccer podcast. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing okay. I checked into the That's So MLS COVID protocols. That's um, right. We had to put you on the... Uh, on the COVID protocols list, there. Uh, that is that I believe that it is the the protocols are to receive simply one package of Ricola's uh, honey lemon honey lozenges. That that is currently the <laughs> health advice that we are being given. Just find some lozenges, go home, and deal with it. Hi, everyone. Last we spoke, uh, we didn't all have COVID, but here we are. Somehow, we were talking before the show, somehow I seem to have missed it, but now I'm starting to wonder, like, maybe I just did have it and didn't know, but what fun, eh? Oh, yeah. <laughs> what, um, a, what, a, what a time. That's what we needed. COVID-22, just, the, just the, 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 the continuing adventures. This, is, this thing has been re- uh, renewed for another season. Um, I just cancel it. <laughs> Take it off the air. I hate the writers of this show. <laughs> um circular plot lines. Anyway. We're in the we're deep in the part of the off season where um, you know, we haven't seen a game in in years, it feels. <laughs> yeah. I, I forget how the game is played. I, there's a ball involved, right? In 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 terms of the North American sphere, um mm-hmm. the you know, and even some of the European games don't get played. Um, but so we're, we are, we are definitely in the part where we are just sort of sifting through all of the news and, uh, and all the various player transfers and, and, and ownership developments and whatnot that have mm-hmm. been, have been popping up since we spoke to you last. Um, one of the most, I think, concerning things, and, and it's always, there's there's an undercurrent of this as as leaks play through, um, of course was the news, um, which came out yesterday as we talk that um, Alfonso Davies mild myocarditis when he came back to Bayern Munich, uh, the Canada forward, um, so he had it, um, on or about the sixth he got uh, he tested positive and um, and when he was about to do his return to play, they did a scan and they found out that he has. Uh, a slight uh, inflammation, which the coach says, um, you know, with some rest will be, will be, uh, will be good. But he will, but that will take some time. Um, yeah, and that rules him out of. The yes, World Canada Cup has said um, that that he will not be playing. Um, of course, I'm really worried for him, and and of course, I'm sure I speak for you too, and we say. Get better, get uh, well soon, Fonzie, and I hope that 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 healing process works um really well. Yeah, I had, I had done. Yeah, it's certainly scary, but I'm, it's also one of those things where I'm just I'm really glad that they do scans like this because especially on athletes, like there's now more emerging studies about it actually does impact them differently. And I, I saw I couldn't find it before the show, but there was some interesting data around like minutes and like completed passes just dropping off a cliff after a player I think that the important thing and, anyway. and this is I think going to be a really important thing for universities as well 
um, the ACAA here in the, uh, that governs St. John, the UBSJ, um, is is still on pause. And um, the imp- one of the important things I found to study from JAMA Cardiology um, about how important it is to test thoroughly for um, for cardiology or cardiac issues um, when you're coming when an athlete is coming back from COVID because they did a, a in twenty in May twenty twenty one they did a study of a thousand five hundred ninety seven college students uh, college athletes that were coming back from COVID um, and found thirty seven cases of myocarditis uh, which in terms of like what was symptomatic, like which I guess would be the the traditional way of screening for those sort of things, they would have got five, right? of of the thirty seven cases. So that was like you know dropping from two point three percent to point three one percent. So we can be thankful that Alfonso Davies, you know, uh, I mean, think compared to you know a lot of Canadian athletes, depending on yeah. on where they're at in their careers, um, was at Bayern Munich. And got you know the full the full meal deal of scans, yeah, the the those sweet sweet Bayern scans. Um, um, yeah, it's it's yeah it's it's definitely worrying, but it, it kind of it does feel like something now that's kind of inevitable, and you certainly would imagine among soccer teams, like if with with Omicron, like if you're in any sort of training session together, like you're all getting it. Yeah, I think that that must be true. I've always been been surprised by you know the way that some some players will be out on a on a COVID thing, and it's like, how can you do a training where only three people got it? Was <laughs> that possible? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like you would just sort of assume that any time a person got infected, everybody would get infected, but. So I just mean, some information, some information yeah. here for a second on on myocarditis, which I pulled up for this, um, was that it is um, especially I think undetected from what I was reading the story. It's it's especially an issue, but it is one of the causes of sudden death in athletes. Um, but according to the study of that, uh, the author, the co-author of that study, I was uh, talking about Saurabh Rajpal um, in cardiology cardiology advisor he said um in an overwhelming majority these cases are mild and resolve after a few weeks of rest and adverse events have been rare especially in the short term so that's your that's your sort of like your your read up on that specific situation i think that if if a player is resting that's the best possible thing for sure yeah i mean of course it does raise questions about what the I mean, well, first of all, World Cup qualifiers, like, yeah. I mean, I know that last, was it last week, the Canadian men's national team canceled their January training camp in Florida. Like, are we back in the situation where we we're just going to keep saying we're going to do it, we're going to do it, and <laughs> without any clear idea whether it will actually start uh, when we think it's going to start? We're going to do it anyway. We're going to do it anyway. Um, so, Keika, because we're slated to start in, you said, seven weeks, right? That's the MLS season. So That's the MLS season. So, we're, we're, so theoretically, Canada is playing 
in three games on January 27th, um, January 30th, and February 2nd. One of those games, two of those games are going to be away games, or are set to be in away games. And the middle one is um, is in Hamilton. It's the it's the home game against the United States. So the issue with that one specifically, this is from CBC News in Hamilton, um, says that um, there is currently a capacity limit of un- of fifty percent for spectator limits. However. That limit is currently set to expire January 26th, four days before the, the game on the 30th. And, and and tickets are currently sold out for the event. This is a wild situation. There's I'm no way... You, right now, they are, like, no one's going to make a decision before that. <laughs> no <laughs> one's going to make one through thing through oh this pandemic. God. It's that we will let the clock run out on every single thing and drag our heels into the last possible minute to make a decision. Because nobody wants the blowback from making the call. And if That's you right. make it early, then people feel like, and I feel like this has been borne out in public opinion, then you're going to take the political hit for, you know, any sort of lockdown or restrictions. I don't know what extent people Can would have traveled. <laughs> I, I, you're, everything you said is correct. I, I, that's, that's been borne out in what's happened. Um, the, I don't know to what extent people might have traveled for this because there are, there's a, of course, a lot of people in, in the, in the greater Toronto and Hamilton area. Um, and so they easily could have sold 24,000 just on that. Like they didn't necessarily, it doesn't necessarily have to be the case that people had to travel, but I mean, like there was there is was attention around this game. There's been attention since since the Edmonton. The, those were those were major points of interest. Um, and I don't know if people need to change their plans. And the idea that we're we're 15 days out and we don't know whether or not half of those people can go. <laughs> well, and I kind of feel like we're all sort of riding this wave of like, well, we'll just wait and see what they tell us. And on the other side, the people responsible for making decisions are like, well, we'll just wait and see, like, how people react until we're, like, forced to do something. And it's this odd game of chicken. But, again, as you and I were kind of chatting before the show about it, it's like, now we're in the phase where, regardless of how you feel about lockdowns or restrictions or guidance or not, just the sheer number of people getting sick and the strain that that's having on the healthcare system, but... Even if you don't care about that and all you care about is getting to a soccer game, presume like the idea that in one week you're getting on a plane, getting to a hotel, and getting to a game without first getting Omicron, uh, <laughs> that feels really, really ambitious to me. Like, Godspeed, I suppose, but that just feels like, you know, to me, kind of like we're back in the magical thinking land where somehow, you know, people are like, oh, I'm pretty sure this will be wrapped up by the end of January. And you're like, it's mid-January now. That's <laughs> like, so in two weeks, you just think there's a whole situation's going to blow over. Like, I understand it could slope off sharply, but like, what timeline are we using for that? What's the What's the thinking there? I think that there's oh a it, there's a couple of factors that, um, and you and I have have said this constantly, and it and it's and it's been right the whole time, that 
things are going to change in this situation all the time. And, and hopefully, <laughs> hopefully it's not too much to hope that some of those changes might be, could be potentially positive and or negative. And, and I would yeah. say at the very least, some of the, the positive potentialities include um, many jurisdictions, including yours and mine, um, are now handing out boosters to the whole population. Um, yeah. That, you know, I don't want to think that this is something that we should have been left to because there's been a lot of negative consequences from the spread of Omicron. But once everyone gets it, there is a little grace period where, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, once everybody buys a refrigerator, you don't need another refrigerator for a while. <laughs> the market, the market for I, Omicron. I really crater. hope that bears out in our epidemiology. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but no, you're you're right. I mean, it it follows that you know, as a virus mutates, it will become more infectious and less deadly, just even by the sheer virtue of fact of like the number of people who've been exposed to it already. But that yeah, that doesn't anyway. mean that doesn't mean we have to not try our best not to get it because let me tell you folks it sucks but um i think that um like there is a possibility you hear people say maybe optimistically oh this is the peak of omicron well uh, it's not impossible <laughs> it could it it could be that yeah, it could be that there's a there's a that it hits a wave and crests especially as like you know New Brunswick has gone into it. Uh, but a downslope doesn't mean that people stop getting infected. It just means fewer people are getting that's infected. True. And so that that's where I kind of go, well, even if it starts going down, <laughs> this is the fun mental gymnastics we all have to play to try to predict anything in the future. But I'm just thinking about, you know, these World Cup qualifying games that, again, like, are it just feels like you are going to a what will be super spreader event if not for fans certainly for players and and that's kind of where i get into just like looking at you know maybe seven weeks out for mls is is a bit more realistic but if you still have clubs who are dealing with players who have had covid even you know up to a month before the start of the season that could still mean a lot of players starting the season on health protocols or you have moments where you know, huge swaths of your team are out because of infection. Like, again, even if it's not deadly, we know people can be reinfected. Yeah. And as we move away from health protocols, I, I just, again, sort of like, is it crazy to for me to be asking, like, how many MLS games are going to get canceled because there's nobody available to, like, I don't, blow a whistle? Let I don't think that's... I don't ball? think that's weird because... I think there's a couple stages to this. I think that's a huge issue for the international games because you're having in in the yeah. leagues where these players are coming from, you are having the situation where teams don't have enough players to field a field a uh, a squad. So they're going to then go nine by like not just Alfonso, but it's like you know nine Bayern or what was it? Was it nine or six Bayern players who who tested positive? It's like, you know, mm -hmm. those guys. Then, uh, was was that unique? Did did no one else in the Bundesliga? Did that happen to no one else in the Bundesliga or or, or in the other leagues? So this might have happened. Well, and like, look at what happened to the Union. You know, like I I think that, 
like I don't think we're out of that stage, right? I mean, for as far as I know, everybody was fine and fully recovered, but it still meant that for a critical game, you you had a ton of players missing, and I I just wonder about. I mean, I don't wonder. I know exactly what will happen, and that's they'll they'll just say like we're just going to start the season as planned and see what happens. Yeah. But I I think if I can make a bold prediction, it's going to be. I think a, a, still a couple of months of disruptions and rescheduling at the start. There's three steps for me. One step is these international breaks. I think it's going to be in the same in the mm. same way that Bayern had their players come back from international break and then had nine people test positive. I think that um, the the fact that players are going to be coming into training camp and and that's going to be a different situation for national teams than it is for club teams who are going to be having training sure. camps and, and presumably be able to test people when they come in and, and like, but also like by the time that club teams will start playing games, everyone's been there for a few weeks, right? Like that's not going to be the scenario yeah. for yeah. national team games. And, and, and it's hard for me to imagine that all of those games are going to get played in, in not just, well, and there's champions league as well. Isn't that's there? right. That's step two. Step two then is that the the <laughs> man this onion's got a lot of layers. That's to right. It. We've got Champions League games starting February fifteenth, um, with Cavalry from Haiti versus New England. Uh, New England Revolution are are going to Haiti on the on the fifteenth, and then New York City are going to Costa Rica. Montreal is going to Santos Laguna, theoretically. Um, and those games go through the 24th as per usual a little bit before the MLS schedule which starts on the 26th so um, I guess we'll see at that point whether like like what is the international travel situation maybe that might have relaxed a little bit it's, it's kind of chal- challenging to tell there's always been one weird. There already been one weird situation with that, with um, New York City can't get Yankee Stadium, so and right. they or Concacaf does not approve of Yankee Stadium, and neither do I. So, <laughs> I mean, like I understand that, um, but but it's neither Yankee Stadium nor City Field are are Concacaf approved, and they can't get Red Bull Arena. That's uh, so. What they'll have, what they're going to do, is they're going to play. Um, they're going to play at LAFC's home venue. Well, obviously, that just makes sense. The best, the best stadium in the New York metro area is the Bank of California Stadium. Yeah, California, <laughs> West <California>. Coast. <laughs> oh boy, yeah. So we're off because to a flying of- start with things. <laughs> Because apparently that's like three days before New York City plays LA Galaxy in Carson. Gotcha. Okay. I mean, yeah. So like that's I, there. I mean, at, clearly at this point with like the Whitecaps having played in Utah for the better part of a season, like, you know, you do what you got to do. <laughs> it's not mm-hmm. any more insane than just everything else that we're doing <laughs> trying to play <laughs> soccer games during this time. Uh, it's just, you gotta say it out loud sometimes, just to be like, let's really soak in for a moment what we're saying and the, the fact that that is reality. So we're going to be doing 
so we're going to first in at the end of January, we're going to be having um, everybody come in from all of their different situations, winter breaks, domestic leagues, or whatever for national team camps. Then we're going to be doing two weeks of international travel with the top teams in MLS, and then days after that, we're going into the season. Yeah, that yeah. I mean, when you put it like that, <laughs> just. <laughs> You know what I'm saying here? I'm just not saying that I'm any sort of expert, but I've been living this for a while now, and I feel like we've established some <laughs> patterns. Uh, we shall see. I mean, whatever happens, let's talk about things as they currently sit. What we do know, some things that are certain um, and some things that are not. Let's dive into some league news because there's been one or two things happening since we talked last. Since so before we do that, I just want to say the the just I think to a restatement of our of our general position is that like things shouldn't take place if they're unsafe. Yeah, there is no this is this is like this is our something that we're passionate about. This is something that we you know you know we love to watch these games and, and follow this. These teams as much as you, but um, just the if if it is if it can't go, it can't go, and and um, it's a it would be a disruption to to rearrange some of this or to have to rearrange some of this. But what else is new? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I get, I get, I get frustration and I get burnout and, I, and exhaustion and all of that. And also, like at this point, if we delayed a season by a month. Is that like really going to be the thing that breaks any of us? Like we're broken. <laughs> you know? Like the disappoint disappointment is the baseline now. Like we can, uh, like yeah, as you said, we just I just want everyone to be safe and you know, and I want us to get out of this. But... Maybe maybe every MLS team can cut their fifth game against their in conference rival or something. Yeah, yeah. You should get a veto. Every team gets a veto. Just be like, nah, we ain't doing it, mate. Sorry. <laughs> Seattle will play no games this season. B -b 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 -bonus. Um, All right, on to league news. So, on to league news. Let's talk about one of the big things, the most kind of recent thing to happen. Um, LAFC have acquired Kellen Acosta for a uh, metric shitload of cash, which will be up to $1.5 million from Colorado. Um... This, I don't know. I rate this as a, as a big signing and a noteworthy one. It's obviously, if it's one of the biggest, if not the biggest, interleague transfers. How do you feel about this move, um, you know, from the LAFC perspective and from the Colorado perspective? I think that, the, and I said some of these things to you, that the spiciest thing at the, at the beginning here is... Uh, is that Kellen Acosta has, has pinned the blame on... There has been a, a back and forth about whether or not Kellen was going to Europe. Um, mm -hmm. A source told a uh, SB Nation website that um, that he... Uh, that it turned out it was more smoke than fire and the real interest was from inside MLS. And, and Acosta replied on Twitter, This narrative is sad. CO pushed me out. They had an offer for me on the table from abroad and ongoing interests and opted to trade me anyway. Yeah, so I don't think he'll be coming back to the Rapids soon. Um, no! No, perhaps I, not. I mean, I feel, I feel for 
players in this situation. I mean, I, I also don't pretend to know everything that goes on, and, and obviously, like, MLS contracts are weird, and there could have been clauses in there that just there wasn't a way around, but also just an interesting move to, like, torpedo the bridge on your way out. Um, and I think, you know, LAFC are picking up a, a an incredible player with great potential still. Um, I for also, me, it kind of still raises... I, yeah. I also think it's in both directions that that bridge burning because what source who is who is salting the who is salting the ground on on Acosta? Sure, he chose to 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 put them on blast publicly, but somebody tried to put him on blast privately. Yeah. So yeah, I I I think that I I don't want to necessarily just put it on him in terms of the conflict in that situation. Um, clearly there's a... No, there's I, a I think the vibe. noteworthy thing is that... Yeah, it, it the noteworthy thing is there's a bad vibe between the player and club. Um, and sure, Colorado, Colorado will receive $1.5 million. I don't know if that includes a, a sell-on fee. I'm assuming it probably doesn't, because that would be a percentage. But um, And then, because there's also the rumor going around that Cole Bassett is likely on his way out, on his way to the Dutch League. Um... And so it kind of, you know, I think the last episode we recorded, we were raising questions about LAFC seeming to always have these outbound players. Well, we've solved at least one part of that problem, and LAFC is now bringing in players. And now it seems to be Colorado that's hemorrhaging the talent. Um, they did sign Betashore again, which is good. But uh, attack-wise, it's feeling a little bit thin. And then I just sort of was going through Twitter today to find, you know, like, some storylines or something else to say about this and i just this one cracked me up and it was maybe the real P dp number nine was the friends we made along the way hashtag rapids 96 from julio Ah, oh, just primo, primo tweet there and i was like i think that <laughs> is a good summary of the uh, rapids fan base feelings about things right now um yep. and it can't feel good to have such a good player of theirs leaving on bad terms and it certainly seemed like at least the twitter reactions were pretty on side with the player um so not a great pr sort of thing before the season for um for colorado either everybody um i mean it seems like this this search for number nine that the whitecaps have known for so long is uh is it's not immune to the to simply the whitecaps fan base um i would say that one of my feelings about this is that um, obviously, there is uh, considerable pressure on LAFC to respond with um, Bradley gone and in, in a relatively, I think, disappointing year um, to yeah. to get some results. They've got uh, Ilya Sanchez. They now have Ishmael uh, Tajiri Shradi. They have uh, yeah. they have added uh, former um, U.S. men's national team player Steve Cherundolo as the coach. Mm -hmm. Um. I so I can see why they would want to go out for Acosta. I think that um, he has a lot to offer, and, and he would have had a lot to offer if he if somebody wanted to go get him in Europe. I think that there is this. I wonder if I'm off base here by thinking that there is sort of a a pressure on LAFC to come up with like something, and I a little bit identify Acosta as one of these in in the last 
four years as being one of these players who, um, on a, a set of Western Conference teams that includes Colorado and before that Dallas, and there have been other players on like, you know, Houston, where it's like, well, they're not really become they're not really sort of like always contenders, although obviously Colorado were last year. Um, but they're fine, and 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 the players do really well in a, in an environment where they're not really, uh, where they aren't necessarily the focus league players because they're not playing on one of the top teams, and then they sort of like move around shuffling the decks, you know, like like I just wonder if if yeah. LAFC Acosta simultaneously is a great bet, a great get, but as the biggest domestic player signing or, or, or was, is that the, I'm trying to remember what exactly the line was. I think it's the most gam that's been paid for someone. Something like that. Most space money within the league. I feel that he was obtainable in the last three, four years for a number. That's not this. Yep. I think that's fair. I mean, it's definitely, I think a little bit of pandemic pricing of, of it's also just like with, visas be and work permits and stuff like that so difficult for a number of um players i think that's also something that it, with the season looming you'll see clubs looking to do i've it seems like a lot of players who had free agency were also picked up by clubs i don't know if it was more than other years it just felt like a lot um we mm-hmm. saw lots of uptake in the draft as well which we'll talk about a little bit further down the road in this episode but it, it does feel like clubs are content to to really try to find their depth, at least, within the league. Um, and teams like LAFC, which are willing to spend big cash on within the league. Given what LAFC has been selling players for, I think the $1.5 million price tag is really an F- LAFC special pricing. <laughs> like, you know, maybe other teams could have got them for less, but other teams couldn't pay as much as LAFC is willing to pay, you know? like. Um, but I think it's, it's good for, they wanted to make it done. And I think that that is the right thing to do. But of course, now the question for Colorado is with a team that didn't really need to change a lot and probably just needed to add some good attacking pieces. They've now lost some good attacking pieces and some good defensive pieces. And, you know, it's however honeymoon of a year they had last season, it didn't feel through luck, but. Kellen Acosta was certainly a, a pretty critical part of that season and that run. And Cole Bassett as well play, had played an important part. So I don't think it's game over for Colorado, but it does mean that they've got two some big pieces to fill um, potentially before the season starts. And it, uh, yeah, it's, we'll see what happens there. Uh, another t- team in the West that I feel like is... is um is scrambling in that way is RSL after Albert Ruznak is now a this was this was the one you were you were noting in our um in our open mm-hmm. yeah 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 the you know. the big the big league signing the big dp signing to Seattle you you know you're we're used to the the Rio, Rui Diaz is coming in and big names like that and Albert Albert Ruznak is the one coming in um like as a free agent as well, I believe. So it feels 
like a great pickup for Seattle and just spectacularly bad business from RSL, who although they do have an owner now, they've got an owner. Yeah, or they got an owner, so at least somebody owns the team, not just the league. But uh, you know, this felt like just completely avoidable by RSL, and like they should have done whatever they could to have locked him down. Um, I know that sometimes the money comes calling and, and there's really not much you can do, but to, to lose that, that piece for RSL, the one really like consistent high level attacking piece, uh, I gotta be honest. I, it didn't seem like there was really a plan for it. And I don't think they're going to find a, a like for like replacement before the season starts. Um, no. I think they'll try, but I, my worry is that this forces them to to maybe spend money in not the smartest way, um, and try to plug holes rather than really try to you find a player of similar profile. Which even if everything aligned, there's just not always that player available. Like the Ruznaks of the world are not always <laughs> players that are um, easily gettable. They did sign the youngest player in league history, Axel Kai. Who is that's who true? Is 14 they, and they're something. not not signing players. Fourteen in some days, which beats Freddie Adu. Wow. Uh, but you, um, uh, I now is probably a good time to mention that that sale that you were talking about. Um, David Blitzer and Ryan Smith's Smith Entertainment Group. That's a, an original name. Are the <laughs> um, are the owners of uh, are the new owners of RSL and Rio Tinto Stadium and the. Uh, the second, the, the Monarchs. Um, if Does that mean they own the Whitecaps as well? Or <laughs> oh, Sorry, so sorry. Flashbacks. They, they have uh, they've bought into the family, um, <laughs> if I recall. Um, yes, the uh, Deloy Hansen had been on the bricks, been on the bubble for a long time after um, investigations following allegations of misconduct to the team and... Uh, and Language is what it says in this post release. Um, is a, is a way of describing that it was a bad scene at RSL, as we know it, in August 2020, kicked off by um, his response in some ways to Black Lives Matter stuff that then yeah. uh, that then resulted in reporting on terrible working conditions in the front office. Um, and now, after all this time in administration, we have uh, we found an owner. It's it's the former uh, a former or part owner of um, the Philadelphia seventy sixers, the New Jersey Devils, Crystal Palace in the Premier League, and FC Augsburg. Sure, which Why is not? also where Ricardo Pepe went. That's right. That's right. Pepe finally got his move. Dallas finally got their money. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. Uh, that was one that we all knew was going to happen, and but I feel like I'm still going to start the season like looking out for him <laughs> on the Dallas bench. But good luck to him. We over also had there. Um, since you say they finally got story. they finally got their money. Uh, Daryl DK has also finally made his move. That's right, and I believe he made his debut over across the pond this morning, or maybe it was last night. But um, and you may ask, oh, he's going to West Brom, wasn't he? Wasn't he working at? Uh, wasn't he doing stuff with Barnsley? Well, my understanding is that Barn that 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 West Brom has the coach that was the coach at 
Barnsley at that time, right? Yeah, yeah. Followed followed the coach to the new team. So, which I think it speaks like even better to to the impression that he made over there to have a, a European coach or to ha- to have your coach of a European club um, notice you like that and then really advocate at the new club that he's had to bring you in. You know, it's it's. I think it it speaks to his work ethic and. Um, as sad as I am to see the the domestic talent not playing in MLS, um, it's obviously it's a huge step for both players at, at very different points in their careers. But it just sort of feels like, you know, like go do what you can do, guys. <laughs> like light them up. Certain uh, te- certain uh, teams have been adding to try and uh, respond to their issues um, in, the, in the past season. Uh, it seems like one team that is subtracting to deal with their issues in the last season is Inter-Miami, yep. uh, who has uh, who is loaning Leandro Gonzalez-Perez to River Plate. Um, not saying that he's necessarily like the problem, um, but it's just, it feels, it feels like they had a log jam in terms of trying to make a bunch of things work at once and, and, this is this is the way to to handle that situation for them, and it probably makes sense. And I, I get he didn't have a, a great season for them, but it just feels like oh, that just sucks. <laughs> you know, like you take you know this really strong MLS defender and just ship him out on loan. It just feels like man, if you guys played that situation right, he he should be playing in MLS. But uh, when you need to free up Ryan, that salary space, you, it makes you do all kinds of funny things. Ryan Shawcross, a terrible decision, I think, from the word go. I don't think I don't think I've ever associated that. Maybe, yeah. maybe I'm wrong, but from the moment I saw that, I was just like, "This is going to be." You've got a you've got a you've got a guy connected to that, you know that that elite tier in England that's going to bring some old dude from the Premier League. And uh, and he is indeed retiring. He will he will be uh, the thirty four year old center back is mutually separating from the team. And imagine ending your playing career, illustrious playing career with Inter Miami. Sorry, that sounds disrespectful. <laughs> but like, I mean, current current as current uh, management stands, like leave your <laughs> leave your boots on the leave your boots on the pebbles in Fort Lauderdale. Yeah. on the pebbles of Fort Lauderdale. Oh my god, that's going to be the name of this album, I think. Um, elsewhere, it looks like Jefferson Soteldo may be out at TFC in a uh, potential swap for Carlos Salcedo. Yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting look. Of course, the big... We, forgot, we didn't even mention it off the top. We haven't had time to think about the fact that Lorenzo Insigne is coming to uh, is coming to Toronto. That's right. Did that even make it into my notes? No, it didn't. Wow. So Soteldo, I I'm going to. I think Insigne is great, and I think obviously it's going to be a big move, and, and hopefully people really, um, hopefully there is a lot of success. Yeah, I mean, I'm, that I'm, feels like an easy summary of a, the, for that player, just to be like, it's he's going to be great. <laughs> Good, from good a White Cats perspective, you know, it's not that I want them to do great, but it's, you know, from a from a league perspective, a Canadian perspective, I mean, like, uh, 
a player like that who had had success with Napoli you want, and is, you know, unlike everybody's favorite, uh, you know, Canadian alumnus with, uh, with, with TFC, um, is involved in the, the, uh, the Italian national team. Um, that should be fun. The Soteldo thing makes me think of the fact that in, in, I saw somebody posting, um, photos of the bloody big deal bus when they mm. first signed Michael Bradley and Jermaine Defoe or whatever. This has been, there have been wonderful strides at Toronto FC. Um, yeah. It has felt to a certain degree that they are still a club that um, has, because they have the means to do so, it's like they're, they they do in some ways try to solve their problems through like some key signings, you know? And like that was, there were other players before the Bloody Big Deal, but it's like the Bloody Big Deal was like, okay, cool. Well, you got Bob Bradley and you got a lot out of him. Um, you yeah. obviously Javinko, great success. Ignacio Piatti, not so much. Jefferson Saltado, not so much. Um, yeah, yeah, it was definitely kind of a Soteldo, we hardly knew you kind of situation, or seems to be unfolding that way. Although, I mean, like, it's not that clearly he's got crazy amounts of talent, and you know, when ooh. he gets his shorts up hiked up enough, he can really light things up on the field, but. It also felt like as the as things got worse for TFC, you saw the shoulders slump and the effort drop, and it really didn't look like he wanted to be there. And as we know in MLS, like every team is going to go through a slump pretty much. So you just have to have a different mentality. And notably as well, the, the swap or potential swap is for a center back from Tigres. And I think that, that that is a big signal of intent there that you know, part of what made Toronto a different type of team to play against that allowed their DPs to shine was really shoring things up at the back and and taking that defensive side of things seriously. And it it felt like that became less of a focus in in the last couple of years um, or just various things didn't pan out or maybe they went for the, the bigger name but not necessarily the defender they needed. So I think it's a potentially good move um and obviously insignia is a fucking amazing signing but the big question is like but do you have all the pieces to put together to allow those players to really shine because that's really always kind of been the most important question at tfc is we know they can spend money we know they can sign great players but can you get those players on the ball enough (laughs) as we saw with soteldo like is that going to be enough to actually get you the product that you need and i mean obviously it's not going to hurt but we've seen la galaxy and other teams stacked with an incredible player in it they'll win some games for sure there there will be highlight real goals will there they be there in the off season for me they still have other pieces to add before i feel confident about that but I think they're going to score a ton that of goals. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I think that um, this is this is a a reorganization around Insigne and, and around what Bob Bradley wants to do, and that, I think that that's a reason why you would see a Soltelto come out. It's almost we don't that often see um, a scenario 
it's going to be a we've seen either it's going to be two moves or effectively or or literally a straight swap for Tigres's mm-hmm. center back Carlos Sacedo. So we're clearly moving a a player that might become a offensive uh, surplus to requirements in replacing with some defensive depth, which I do think TFC needs. So that's 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 not a bad uh, no. That's not a bad look. But a straight swap is a uh, is is does not a straight swap with another league does not come in around that. No, often, especially uh, with Liga MX. But um, interesting developments there. Um, I guess. <sighs> I don't know where this fits into things, but I just sort of put as a note, like, the ongoing situation at Portland. Um, As, you know, their season ended, um, it it felt like there's been continued conversation and, um, well, I guess now a lack of continuing that conversation between Portland Timbers and uh, the supporters of both the Timbers and the Portland Thorns about their ownership and, of course, allegations against uh, Coach Paul Riley, who was formerly with Portland Thorns. And it, it seems like fairly recently there's been a development that ownership has basically decided that they're going to sever ties. They're not. They're no longer going to be meeting regularly with the main supporters groups. Yeah, this is. Uh, um, so there. This was a piece from uh, Caitlin Murray in ESPN. Um, which was really, really well done. Because in that, I I highly recommend going to look it up if you're curious about the situation. Because I do think that it like it lays out the whole situation. There's so much like in terms of trying to serve the fan base. There's so much context, 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 context until you get to the news, which was that um, the I guess the umbrella organization that represents Portland Timber supporters groups, the 171st. Um, kind of ceased their weekly meetings with, or their monthly meetings with, with the Timbers front office, the Thorns front office, um, following the scandal, the dual scandal that in that involved, um, Paul Riley, and the um the allegations that had been made in in his case, the way that he was sort of mm-hmm. very quietly shuffled out of the um. The, the way he was shuffled out of the team and how that was handled by general manager Gavin Wilkinson and owner Merritt Paulson. Also, the sort of second half of that that was originally a part of the athletic article about Paul Riley was that Manashim had, um, uh, was that Wilkinson seemingly had a problem with Manashim. Uh, um, obviously, I'm being this meeting is about why I got re-signed to the team and what they want me to do when I'm here. And the meeting actually was about, uh, don't be a distraction (laughs) by talking about LGBT issues, um, which is awful. And initially, according to this piece, Wilkinson had said, um, Wilkinson had said, I don't, or, uh, that never happened. And then said, okay, well maybe I did say something that was, that was implied that way. They, Change the general manager. This is where it gets back to the news part. They changed the general manager of the Thorns, but they didn't change the general manager of the Timbers. They made they made uh, Karina LeBlanc the general manager. Um, you know, big big fan, like like really fan pleasing pick there. But he still has a job at the mm-hmm. same place, and um, 
the this has been a concern. The piece also outlines that um, the way that the organization is handling its investigation into what happened and how it was allowed to transpire the way that it did has apparently not been that transparent, or at least not been as transparent as fans like. And the news that is, I'm not going to say buried, because the point is that this piece really wants you to get familiar with all the context the news it but which which means it's fair mm-hmm. i think this was was really attempted to be as fairly constructed as possible um is that portland said um yeah. they will no longer be attempting to to have those meetings with supporters clubs with it with the umbrella umbrella group that represents those supporters clubs quote we believe the 171st needs to be more inclusive and open to differing viewpoints from a small group of leadership. If relationship is one-sided in a desire to drive protest over facts and players' divider, desires, it isn't sustainable. A shocking, horrendous way to refer to, to fans' concern over problems that you did. And this, you did it, and, and you you didn't fix it. And this is the thing; and nothing happened. And I feel like, like every time Merritt Paulson opens his mouth, too, it's it's this thing of like trying. It's sort of like this false contriteness to be like, well, I mean, well, if we did do something terrible, well, we didn't know all that much about it. But also, fuck you and stop asking questions about it. And we're no longer talking to you. Why do you hate us so much? And it's just like, <laughs> how stupid do you think people are? Like, this is literally the follow up here is that play, fans were told that there would be a conclusion to this investigation before uh, ticket renewal. And as those yeah. dates crept closer and closer, fans rightly pushed and said, and of course that goes through the supporters groups a lot of time or connects, you know, there's CC'd on the emails and things like that to, to put pressure on the front office. And this is just unsurprisingly about the most gutless response you could possibly think of. But we already saw it happen in Vancouver, where ownership seems quite content to just sever ties with that, you know, what they seem to call the 10%. <laughs> so using their number, they seem quite content to shed that, that negative PR, and that's what they see it as. And they figure they'll make that fan, fan base back at some point, or, you know, whatever the cost is from losing core supporters, they would rather just not have the pressure on them and this is like going back to where these discussions picked up again is where all the frustration is is nobody's taking it seriously nobody wants to be accountable ultimately it's still just looked as a pr issue (laughs) and i want to address that 10 percent because i assume that what you what you're what you're look what you're reading that from is the the part of the quote the next part of the quote where it says essentially or the, the another part of the story where They've, um, they pushed back the season ticket renewal so that they could, so that they could, you know, announce a more wholesome response to this issue. Didn't do it. And the, the, the deadline is still January 21st. And uh, the club in a statement to ESPN says it expects season ticket renewals to, quote, exceed 90% for the Timbers and close to that for the Thorns. Mm-hmm. Yes. So is that where you, yeah. is that sort of your, your thought process of the 10%? Yeah. That is 
wildly optimistic to me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, no, and, and then that's kind of where I'm using it as like a bit of a tongue in cheek thing. Like, okay, if you think it's only ten percent, then let's talk about ten percent. But you're still fine with just cleaving off ten percent of your your fan base. Also, your most vocal, active fan base and this is where so many supporters groups have said time and time again they feel used by the club the clubs they support because you know they they want you when they are putting out the press materials but the minute that you say anything about like hey well hang on a second like what's going on with this investigation that you're doing against yourselves for this problem you caused and then you get this like well we're not we don't want to talk to you anymore (laughs) Just, just where do you go from there it's awful. like wrap it up we can just conclude now that okay don't trust the ownership and cancel your tickets cuz with statements like that i i just cannot imagine as a fan feeling like you're you're welcomed into that space like you're you're all you are is a walking wallet to them anyway now i'm right i had seen i had seen the quote in this i'd seen the quote in the story that said you know, the the hardest part for me is that my I feel like my money was used to torture those players, and 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 I got really I got really fired up after I read this story yesterday. It, it was it's really frustrating, and because I have so many of those same feelings that came from the Whitecap situation of of just like of your engagement and and the emotional investment that you've put in this and the extent to which you've made this a part of your life is fucking crowbarred yeah. by the team is 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 you know they bend the arms to try and and get you to fall in line or or whatever and, and that's what that quote is about yeah that quote is about like well if what are the differing perspectives on on the timbers response to um to like well, and the, to say like to to, to, and to use the, the language who... of like inclusion to be like, well, this isn't very inclusive to not accept our bullshit premise that we didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> like fucking cram it, Paulson and company. Just it feels like ugh. that old. It feels like that old uh, onion. That old onion debate debate piece on 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 nine eleven, where you would now just say like, you know, the Portland Timbers organization should take responsibility for what happened with Paul Riley and, and consider firing or minimizing the involvement of the people responsible versus no, they shouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Versus no. <laughs> it's just such a clear example again of, you know, power protects power and, and the closer that, you know, the, the wick gets to these people and, and they see they're, they're running out of track. You know, I, I think that you see things like this where the, the lashing out like this to me is like written by somebody who is unhinged which is why i think Merritt paulson wrote it like it reads like one of his tweets we were not surprised that the 171st um timbers army and rosity rivers put out the following statement we were not surprised by friday's statement from the portland timbers and thorns front office we believe that if asking for transparency and accountability through conversation is seen as contentious that says far more about club leadership than it does about the 171st, the Timbers Army, or the Rose City Riveters. We will continue to do what we do. We will support these players. We will remain, as we always have been, independent. I mean, try to be objective, but it's hard to argue against that. 
I was, I think when I was, when I was going through this yesterday, I think the, the painful, here's the painful thing is, is to feel that you're legitimately a part of a community that you helped, that you and your friends helped create it and helped sustain and that you do legitimately think that you are, that you attain, you aspire towards independence and you, you are trying to be an active player in this and that it's not just a branding exercise. It's not just a, you're not just a consumer. You want to be a part of this community. Um, takes a lot of emotional investment in having to do this thing that the team is fucking scoffing about. Yeah. Is so painful. It's so painful to have that relationship poisoned by the other side. And it's so painful to have that thing that you turn to be a, a source of like pain in your life that sucks and get but you know and given the conditions that they've created and in some cases promoted uh that have greatly jeopardized player safety we shouldn't be that surprised i guess because that if that's how they're no. if we see the way that they're allegedly treating players are we surprised that they turn around and tell fans to get lost about the just the information about it you know, I, I feel like that in of... some ways I feel like I've, despite all that we've talked about, I think I still think I've been looking at clubs with rose colored glasses, thinking that maybe somewhere in all of these statements, there's somebody trying to make a difference. But it's stuff like this that makes me really feel like, you know, <laughs> garbage in, garbage out. This The same people who made the situation happen in the first place are many of them still involved. And this statement is pretty clear about how they feel about things yeah i think that i think that in the clubs like this can be some of the most rewarding experiences in sports and it also makes them makes fans vulnerable it's in some of the most vulnerable fans in sports at the same time yeah um elsewhere around the league we've a few other pieces of news um unfortunately alan Polito will be out for the season because uh, his knee is that sucks. sucked. Um, so, he, yeah, sucks. really sucks. SKC now obviously scrambling and in a situation that they did not want to be in. Um, while we're talking about SKC, though, I also want to note that Benny Philhelber and Aiko Parra have reconnected at Sporting Kansas City um, as coaches for their for Sporting Kansas City 2. Um which I thought was just kind of like a, a cool thing. And like, you know, I wouldn't hate the opportunity to be coached by those two guys. I feel like there's going to be a lot of <laughs> defensive structure and tough tackling to that young squad. <laughs> um, That'd be great. I think, and I think that, that maintaining sort of, you know, well-known faces around is a great way to, to mean, to be absolutely to, to build club culture. Yeah, no, and I, I think that it, it's one of the, the tangible ways that you can build a bit of, like, a through line and a, uh, a history or culture is, is yeah, I mean, like, who's more recognizable around those pitches than Benny Philhaber and Aiko Parra? Um, and, and certainly, um, I, I like the... It feels like there's a bit more of a pipeline between MLS players and co MLS coaching now. Like, it's it's much more frequent and sensible to have uh, players from MLS teams retire and then take on coaching roles with their MLS clubs or within MLS. And I, I think that's good for everyone. 
I agree with that. Um, I also saw. Uh, do we want? Or do you have you have something else here? Oh, um, the Dom Dwyer piece. Yes. Yeah, Dom Dwyer uh, has gone to FC Dallas, who have also bought out his contract and received a super draft pick from Toronto, which I believe they have now used. Um, that move makes sense to me. Um, that's two scoreless seasons. Obviously, had a, a injury plagued season with Orlando before going to Toronto and uh, didn't make too many appearances there. Let's hope the goals follow. You know, he's not my favorite player, but it would be nice to see him turn things around. Dallas feels like a, a place where he could fit in well. Um, yeah, we'll we'll see what they build around him and, and how big of a, a role he'll feature on the side. I don't I don't know why I completely blanked out the fact that he was in Toronto. Well, that's, a, that's a surprise to me. Didn't do much there. We were surprised because remember, <laughs> remember that there was that whole thing where somebody like was at a Toronto game or a training or something, and he was there as a trialist. And then there is that like couple of weeks where there everyone was like, "No, surely not." And then they signed him, but he was only there for I think the later part of the season, or was he there for the full season mm. last season? I can't remember. At some point, he came. There was a hoo ha about it. He really did do, not do much, and I do not believe he scored. Um, I noticed that uh, you had um, that. Um, why does the why does the name How speaking you doing of over Orlando? Ah, um, uh, I had it up in my thing. Where did it go? Um, why am I blanking on? The name Nani. Nani. Uh, Nani went to Venezia. Right. Yes. We knew Nani was. He was. We knew he was out, but we didn't know where he was out on his way to. Now he's. Uh, now he's gone. Uh, now he's. Uh, hopefully, he has a good time there. That's a. That's a fashionable club. Sure is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, another kind of like it's. It's too bad more couldn't have happened at Orlando, but I, I certainly don't think you can fault him for for not trying. Um, so good luck to them over there. Um, while we were away over the the holidays, well, and, and just very recently, the super draft happened. Um, yes, and as we kind of alluded to before, certainly a lot of players picked up in the super draft. We did not see quite the usual um, just selling of spots to other teams <laughs> that we normally see a draft. It's like a super draft for the super draft. Um, a couple of clubs stuck to that, but. Most notably, the Vancouver Whitecaps selected five players from the Super Draft. Um, yeah. Which, and as sort of a mix of some attacking players and defensive and midfielder, a smorgasbord of everything, um, which I think is great because, of course, the Whitecaps are one of the few teams in MLS that have really shown they're perfectly willing to, to sign someone to the first team and play them. Of course, Jake Nerwinski kind of stands out as maybe their most right. successful one or most... Uh, Notable one, but Javane Brown as well was uh, for th they, a player they got through the draft, who they have also now just re-signed through 2024. So, I we think that if... Simon Becher from St. Louis is the, is the number one. That's right. 
You think that? I think that, you know, among these five players, there's got to be at least one one guy that makes it onto the first team. Um, of course, the draft pick does not mean that these players will all have contracts now, but sort of like a, a pre-contract, as I understand it. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, we've also seen it that players that maybe don't necessarily get permanently picked by their team may still stay in MLS. But the Whitecaps have a really good record for getting good finds through the super draft. So I like that they've selected five players. That means we're going into the preseason camp with a, a very full squad. Yeah. I think that it's great to add more, more people into the pipeline and, and have more possibilities for youth. We talked a little bit under the past that it is sort of a, a weirdly hyped occasion. Um, when the, whether or not the American college system truly is the, the, the the best or even most of the best or most effective way to get players that will will contribute in MLS, um, but there are you know the the top end is usually pretty good and, and I think that one of the things that you will look at if you if you're somebody that says oh well this, the you know you need to be looking at South America or whatever else there is a there is a there's a a wide level of of different experience bases in these five players. Because you know you've got mm-hmm. um, you've got Simon Bechet in there as their first guy, um, but there's also uh, who is from St. Louis University. Um, they've got uh, an Ecuadorian player. They've got a, a guy who comes from or who was in college and but before that played for a French second team. Um, we've got. You've got a Brazilian uh, player who who played for Marshall. There's just a lot of, and, and it seems like we'll probably that player. Who? Which player is it? One of them is. One of these players is signed in USL, and so like maybe not. Hmm. Giovanni Aguilar Aguiar is signed with Sacramento, and and the Whitecaps are. Are getting his MLS rights and maybe not gonna, you know. I assume, I I assume if they wanted to sign him to the first team that they could they could make that deal happen. But you know the this For is. Sure. But I think the underlying thing here is that you know the draft has kind of been this much derided thing over time. But I still think it's a viable way to add quality depth to to your side, and the Whitecaps have have proven that in having. Well, I mean, two right backs <laughs> successively through the super draft in Jake Nerwinski and Javane Brown. Those two guys are battling it out for the first team. And to me, that's that's really good business for players that you're generally keeping on the minimum, closer towards the minimum end of the salary scale, that also have lots of domestic experience and understand what's required to play in MLS. And plus, you never know, you know, I, I think it's always good to stock the cupboards and, and you're right, the, the depth is really good. Um, and, and you want to hope that maybe you'll be able to help these players develop and move them along. However, there's a lot of things you can't teach. And the things that you can't teach uh, are things that were mentioned again and again by the uh, commentators in the draft broadcast. And I wrote down some of the things that you can't teach according to... Uh, According to the the hosts of the MLS Draft broadcast, you can't teach being a goal scoring midfielder. That's something you can't teach. Um, you can't teach True. Uh, being a goalkeeper that makes goal line saves. That's not teachable. Um, 
You also can't teach fear uh, in terms of being a person who feels fear or does not feel fear. That's not teachable. Um, and leadership quality, being standing up and taking responsibility for uh, a club's tough season, that's also not teachable. So those are those are um, there are areas there are areas where hopefully these players will improve. Uh, that that is, I didn't really watch more than a half an hour of the broadcast, so. I was only I was only able to pick up those those four jams in terms of things that these players things that cannot be taught. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's a weird it's a weird thing, but I'm glad it still happens. <laughs> and you know, it'll be an in, it'll be interesting to see. I I do feel like it's um, clubs take it a bit more seriously now, and not maybe not everyone to the same degree, but Again, I think it just sometimes gives you interesting pieces as well and things that you may, you know, out on the transfer market, you would maybe not be looking at and it would cost you a lot more. But if you're looking at it through the draft, you know, you basically get to trial the player and see if that interesting piece might fit in. And, you know, we've seen it work before. (laughs) I hope so. That's about it for MLS things, I think. I mean, I know there's been a, a lot of transfers, but I feel like we've kind of summarized the the big ones. It, Any other news we wanted to, to do before we wrap up here? There's been stuff happening in, uh, in Canadian Premier League. Uh, unfortunately, the, uh, the Canadian Premier League and the FAF family have announced a transition of operations at FC Edmonton. Um, FC Edmonton will now be under league administration and the FAFs are looking to sell. They've, they've hit their, their level. They've obviously been so important in, in launching the team in 2010. And then, um, FC Edmonton, you know, died once in 2017 and, and came back for, for the inaugural CPL year. I think there've been, you know, CPL is, is, is going on strong, but at the same time has had you know, has had some issues in, in, um, you know, XFL did not survive the pandemic. It was a really, 2019 was, it turns out a really challenging year to try and start a professional sports league for reasons nobody could have, uh, um, anticipated. And, and, and FC Edmonton yeah. apparently was a, uh, an impact of this. So the, I think that they obviously people are feeling a lot of sadness for SC Edmonton, which is a club that has meant something to me from time to time because I lived in Alberta and I went to a bunch of those games. Um, and I also mm-hmm. just really feel strongly for all the fans that are there that, that have been there through thick and thin, and from from one league to another, um, with the club. Yeah. The uh, yeah. the challenge now is to eulogize that era and to, you know, appreciate and thank the the Fath family for what they did with FC Edmonton while not saying, you know, while also, like, it seems like the way the narrative is being formed is, well, they tried their best, but they couldn't find a way to make it work. And that doesn't really seem to be, like, a great selling... <laughs> strategy to convince somebody to step up. Yeah, yeah, it's it's. I've always thought that, not to digress too much, but it, I've always thought that when you know a, an owner is selling a club or a club goes up for sale, that it's such a balancing thing between because clearly, like 
if you were making boatloads of money, there's no way in hell you'd be selling. So you really kind of have to, like, really uh, sell the fact that you think that there's potential, <laughs> just not enough potential to keep you to just continue to own the club. But, hey, you know, there's buyers out there. But as you said, it just it does really suck for the fans who've already been through a lot with this club, and, and it just sucks to not know... Um, what's going to be happening there, there have um, but ho- hopefully some some good will come of this and you know there will be another the dawning of a new era for fc there have there have been one. some structural issues there have uh, there's obviously been the pandemic um venue has been a problem in the past um one of the bigger problems on it honestly is just that that on the field it just hasn't clicked you know i think that um a lot of problems can be solved when you're yeah. winning and and edmonton definitely has soccer fans and enough soccer fans to to support a team and and to support a a, a campl team um but you've got to make it mean something to people first and uh and and that was a i think that was a part of it is just that it wasn't you know when one of the things that i see from people when i look online and, and hear people talk about it is is that a lot of their memories their most important memories their their the the most notable things that have happened with that the, they've seen with FC Edmonton happened in the NASL. So so the yeah. the KPL whoever takes it on has to um work to make this era exciting. Mhm. Yeah, absolutely. Um and and hopefully that there's uh there's potential there to do that. Um the uh another sort of weird sort of shifting sands thing in, in, in KPL is that uh, the commissioner, David Clanahan, who was a, a Tim Hortons executive initially, was the founding, was like the first commissioner of the league, is stepping down to run, to 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 theoretically um, lead the charge on expansion in Windsor, Ontario. So this is interesting. So he's, he's giving up a leadership position in the league to start a leadership position in a cl- with a potential club in the league. That's correct. Yes. Yes. That's an interesting yes. move. That's not usually the way things happen. Uh, I, you had to, uh, Amanda a Duffy. Uh, uh, <laughs> Amanda Duffy left the NWSL presidency to go uh, take a job at Orlando. True. If true, I recall. True. Yeah. 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 Um, you obviously, if you are the, the the key position in a league, you have you have a lot of knowledge about that league. I think that there is a problem. It's been an issue. When you when you read about Canadian Premier League online, there are you know, and, and the pandemic has been no exception. Um, I don't always think that communication between all of the various satellites of the Canadian Premier League and, and its uh, and its mothership yeah. is like um, has been known to be like the greatest. And I don't necessarily when when I I don't have anything you know firm to say about that. But when I read about what about that, I think that, I don't that's, know a, that fair, that's a fair statement to say. I don't know that's necessarily his fault from from what I've seen, but it's like but it, but the way that it's been organized has has lots of room for improvement. Mm-hmm. Um and uh and I the things of it's not a stability issue in terms of are we having a next season because everything seems to be going in that direction. Um but I know it's been hard and in the same way with this guy with 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 Edmonton it's like 
you are going to have to have somebody who has a lot of knowledge and, and a lot of faith in this situation and can help install that, instill that in others mm-hmm. and hopefully be more, um, hopefully more, be more communicative a little bit and, and help, uh, increasing that kind of stuff. One, one file from Canadian Premier League that is a little funny. Well, not a little funny. You know, we talked a little bit when Forge won, when Forge lost to Pacific and, and, and the, the one soccer team seems so glum. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, this, this idea of bias and, and, and I had a, a take that calcified with the news that, you know, well, are you, are you unhappy, uh, <laughs> as the league? As the league, are you unhappy that Forge uh, did not successfully manage to, uh, to 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 win? Well, why not? What if they just bought the best players from the other teams, um, and they have and they have from their from their opponents? They have gone to Pacific and and uh, taken Alessandro Hojabrapur and Taryn Campbell. Yeah. Hey, it's a tactic. <laughs> We've seen Pacific use, use it before. Pacific posted the this was an amazingly petty move that I loved. Pacific posted the press release, and then in the last, I'm un, I understand. I read the story. I think it was taken out at some point because it wasn't in the version that I read. Mm-hmm. But I read that they posted a story that was like, "Thank you so much to Hajabrapur and, and and Campbell for their work with the club," and. That was the first time anyone knew they were leaving, and it said, like, in paragraph 14, oh, by the way, they're going to forge. <laughs> that's it. what I That's what I heard. Anyways, maybe it wasn't the version that was online. Maybe that was that's, the only email That's version. the version I'm going to be believing as we move forward, because that is excellent. <laughs> Just like, yeah, by the way, it's to forge. So uh, whatever press conference is over, get out. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Both of those players have been great. Oh, job report has been so good for for Pacific. Absolutely, and like, yeah, I think it it's it's bound to happen, especially in such a small league. Like, there's just not that many places to go within the league. So, um, but I I love that. That's really excellent. Here's my take. This, in addition to this other stuff that we were talking about with with the uh, coming out of the final, this cements Forge as having that. Bayern Munich s position, yeah. As as the the Canadian Premier League's official club, like like this is this is the club that represents this level of Canadian soccer. Yeah. In their eyes, this is the club that always has to be stocked with all of the key people that are going to be that are going to represent the the Canadian soccer internationally. Yeah. This is the if. If they are falling behind the competition, they must buy the competition because they are the fla- the the flagship club and they must be in that position. That they are the Bayern Munich. That is my that is my position. And here I was I'm worried you were gonna have a really hyperbolic example. <laughs> Forge is Bayern Munich. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> uh, where can we find you online? You can find me online on Twitter at Team Bates, www.team-bates.com. And uh, you can find, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at That's So MLS. And you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts and wherever else you get podcasts, That's So MLS.com. Please rate, review, 
and subscribe. Yeah, we're on Facebook as well. That's so MLS. You can. There's so many different ways to hear our sweet, sweet voices. That's right. Check us out. And until next week, don't get sent off. That's fun. There was lot. There was lots to talk about. <laughs>